Madeline Murray O'Hare had quite the reputation in America, and it was not a positive one for many. Madeline, a proud atheist, was best known for her many challenges taken to the courts, ultimately leading to school prayer being deemed unconstitutional and banned in 1963. This ruling led to Madeline becoming an instant media star due to her brusque delivery of divisive opinions and the ratings those drove. Madeline Murray O'Hare would be called the most hated woman in America by the media and more than a few Americans. She was featured in a Playboy article in 1965 in which she described religion as a crutch and an irrational reliance on superstitions and supernatural nonsense. She did not generate a lot of fans. Madeline was featured on the Phil Donahue talk show regularly for her atheist shock factor, and she was the chief speechwriter for Larry Flint's 1984 presidential run. To say Madeline lived an interesting life would be an understatement. But Madeline's life would become even more shocking when she and her family would mysteriously disappear in the 1990s, only to later be found dismembered. So what led to the macabre demise for the most hated woman in America and her family? Find out today on the Controversial Figures podcast. Welcome to Controversial Figures, a podcast about intriguing figures in the media. My name is Tammy Hawkins, and if you enjoy this podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. That really helps others find this podcast. Also, donating to Controversial Figures on Patreon helps me continue to bring new content, and you'll get a shout-out on a future show. It also really, really helps when you subscribe to the show and your podcasting app and when you tell your friends to do so as well. So smash that subscribe button. And when you download the show, it helps too. All right, let's get started with the interesting tale of the most hated woman in America. Madeline Mays was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on April 13, 1919. And she was raised in a religious home from an early age. At the age of four, Madeline was baptized into her father's Presbyterian church, and her mother was of Lutheran faith. By age 22, Madeline Mays would marry steelworker John Henry Roths in 1941. But the newly married couple separated when they both enlisted for World War II service. John Henry in the United States Marine Corps, and Madeline in the Women's Army Corps. In April 1945, while posted to a cryptography position in Italy, Madeline began a relationship with an officer by the name of William J. Murray, Jr. Now, I'd like to call attention to this relationship as Mr. Murray, Jr. was a married Roman Catholic. Some believe it was this relationship that spurred Madeline's atheist beliefs and activism. 
And due to his faith, William J. Murray Jr. refused to divorce his wife. Madeline Mays went ahead with her divorce from John Henry Roths while she adopted the name Madeline Murray instead. She then, in 1940s America, gave birth as a single, unwed mother to her illegitimate son with Officer Murray after returning to Ohio. Despite her married lover leaving her, Madeline named the boy William J. Murray III and nicknamed him Bill. In 1949, Madeline completed a bachelor's degree from Ashland University. She then earned a law degree from the South Texas College of Law, but did not pass the bar exam. She would find use later for that legal knowledge, however. Madeline moved with her son Bill to Maryland, and on November 16, 1954, she gave birth to her second son, John Garth Murray, fathered by her boyfriend, Michael. Their relationship ended, and it is believed that the boy, known as Garth, never actually met his father. So again, Madeline gave birth as a single, unwed mother to her second child. It would be once Madeline's boys started attending school that she would put her legal knowledge to use. In 1960, Madeline Murray filed a lawsuit against the Baltimore City Public School System in the case Murray v. Curlette, naming her son William as the plaintiff. She challenged the city school system's practice of requiring students to participate in Bible readings at the city's public schools. Madeline said her son's refusal to participate had resulted in bullying by classmates and that administrators condoned this behavior. After consolidation with Arbington School District v. Shemp, the lawsuit was heard by the Supreme Court of the United States in 1963. The Supreme Court voted 8-1 to in Shemp's favor, saying that mandatory public Bible readings by students were unconstitutional. Prayer in schools other than Bible readings had been ruled as unconstitutional the year before by the court in Ingle v. Vitale in 1962. Now, because of hostility in Baltimore against her family related to this case, Madeline Murray left Maryland with her sons in 1963 and moved to Honolulu, Hawaii. She had allegedly assaulted five Baltimore City Police Department officers who tried to retrieve her son Bill's girlfriend, Susan, from her house. She was a minor and had run away from home. Susan gave birth to Bill's daughter, whom she named Robin. And later, Madeline Murray adopted Robin. So now she had three children. After settling in Austin, Texas later, Madeline founded American Atheists in 1963. American Atheists identifies as, quote, a nationwide movement which defends the civil rights of non-believers, works for the separation of church and state, and addresses issues of First Amendment public policy. The American Atheist Charter stated, quote, Atheism may be defined as the mental attitude which unreservedly accepts the supremacy of reason and aims at establishing a lifestyle and ethical outlook verifiable by experience and the scientific method, 
independent of all arbitrary assumptions of authority and creeds, end quote. Madeline Murray O'Hare served as the American Atheist first chief executive officer and president until 1986. She was the public voice and face of atheism in the United States during the 1960s and 1970s. Although her son, Garth Murray, succeeded her officially as president, she retained most of the power and decision-making. She was a strong woman to be contended with. In 1965, Murray married U.S. Marine Richard O'Hare and changed her surname. Richard O'Hare had belonged to a communist group in Detroit during the 1940s. During investigations of the 1950s, he gave more than 100 names of other members to the FBI. Later, he was investigated for falsely claiming to be an FBI agent. Although the couple later separated, they were legally married until his death in 1978. In a 1965 interview with Playboy magazine, Madeline Murray O'Hare described religion as a crutch and an irrational reliance on superstitions and supernatural nonsense. In the same Playboy interview, O'Hare described numerous alleged incidents of harassment, intimidation, and death threats against her and her family. Madeline said that she left Baltimore because of persecution from residents. She said she had received mail containing photos smeared with feces, her son John's pet kitten was killed, and her home was stoned. She said she thought such events were a catalyst for her father's fatal heart attack. Madeline also said the following quote in the 1965 Playboy article, quote, As a militant feminist, I believe in complete equality with men, intellectual, professional, economic, social, and sexual, they're all equally essential, and they're all equally lacking in American society today. Listen, the woman had her points, even if you didn't like her. Madeline Murray O'Hare appeared on The Phil Donahue Show several times, including in the first episode in 1967. She appeared on the show in March 1970 to debate preacher Bob Harrington, also known as the Chaplain of Bourbon Street. She would also end up having a seat on Johnny Carson's Tonight Show couch. O'Hare endorsed Jimmy Carter in the 1976 presidential election because of Carter's opposition to mandatory school prayer, his support for sex education in public schools, and his stance on ecological matters. Ultimately, O'Hare filed over 10 lawsuits in which she argued the separation of church and state had been breached. Bear with me as I rattle through some of these. First, there was Murray versus Curlett in 1963, which challenged Bible reading and prayer recitation in Maryland public schools. Then there was Murray versus the United States in 1964 to force the Federal Communications Commission, or FCC, to extend the fairness doctrine so that atheists could have equal time with religion on radio and television. Murray versus Nixon in 1970, which challenged the weekly religious services in the White House. O'Hare versus Payne in 1971 challenged open readings from the Bible by U.S. astronauts, who are federal employees, during their space flights, spurred by a reading from the Book of Genesis by the crew of Apollo 8. 
O'Hare versus Cook in 1977 challenged the opening prayer at city council meetings in Austin, Texas. O'Hare versus Blumenthal in 1978 challenged the inclusion of the phrase in God We Trust on U.S. currency. O'Hare versus Hill in 1978 to have removed from the Texas Constitution a provision requiring a belief in God of persons holding offices of public trust. O'Hare v. Andrus in 1979 challenged the use of national park facilities for the Pope to hold a Roman Catholic Mass on the Mall in Washington, D.C. O'Hare v. Clements in 1980 This case tried to remove the nativity scene displayed in the rotunda of the Capitol building in Austin, Texas. And finally, Carter et al. v. Broadlawns Medical Center et al., 1984-1987, challenged the full-time employment of an unordained chaplain at a tax-funded county hospital, Broadlawns Medical Center in Des Moines, Iowa. As you can see, O'Hare was quite busy using her legal degree for other purposes. Madeline founded an atheist radio program called American Atheist Forum, in which she criticized religion and theism. The show was carried on more than 140 cable television systems. Madeline also found other ways to continue to stoke controversy, including when she served as the chief speechwriter for Larry Flint's 1984 presidential campaign. For anyone that may not be familiar with Larry Flint, He was the creator of Hustler Magazine and was another rather disliked American individual. Probably much to Madeline's disappointment, her son William J. Murray became a Christian in 1980 and later a Baptist minister. William J. Murray would publish a memoir in 1982 about his spiritual journey. Madeline Murray O'Hare commented, One could call this a postnatal abortion of the part of a mother, I guess. I repudiate him entirely and completely for now and all times. He is beyond human forgiveness. Bold words from a bold woman. That was his mother. That is her first child because of religion. By the 1990s, The American Atheists' staff consisted of Madeline Murray O'Hare, her son, John Garth Murray, and Robin Murray O'Hare, her granddaughter and adopted daughter, and a handful of support personnel. The trio lived in O'Hare's large home, worked in the same office, and took shared vacations. On August 27th of 1995, Madeline O'Hare her son John Garth Murray and her granddaughter Robin Murray O'Hare disappeared from their home and office. A mysterious typewritten note was attached to the office door saying, quote, The Murray O'Hare family has been called out of town on an emergency basis. We do not know how long we will be gone at the time of the writing of this memo. End quote. Probably not to your surprise, people found the note and the situation suspicious. When police entered Madeline's home, it looked as if they had left suddenly. The trio said in phone calls that they were on business in San Antonio, Texas. Garth Murray ordered $600,000 worth of gold coins from a San Antonio jeweler, but took delivery of only $400,000 worth of the coins. 
Until September 27th, American Atheists employees received several phone calls from Robin and John, but neither explained why they had left or when they would return. Employees reported that their voices sounded strained and disturbed. After September 28th, no further communication came from any of the three. American Atheists was facing serious financial problems because of the withdrawal of the funds, and membership dwindled in the face of an apparent scandal. People thought they took the money and ran. However, the investigation into the American Atheists' disappearance would focus on a man by the name of David Roland Waters, an ex-felon with a violent history who had worked for the American Atheists. Waters had pled guilty earlier that year to stealing $54,000 from the organization. Shortly after his theft was discovered, Madeline O'Hare had published an article in the American Atheist newsletter exposing the theft and previous crimes. O'Hare claimed, at age 17, Waters had killed another teenager and had been sentenced to prison for eight years. Federal agents for the FBI and the IRS, along with the police, concluded that David Roland Waters and his accomplices, Gary Paul Carr and Danny Fry, had kidnapped all three Murray O'Hare family members. The captors took the O'Hare family to the Warren Inn on the northwest side of San Antonio, Texas, where the group lived for a month in a two-bedroom, one-bathroom rental. While held in captivity, the O'Hares played card games, board games, and had philosophical discussions. In September of 1995, John Murray, Madeline's son, had $600,000 wired to the U.S. from New Zealand, and it was that money that was then used to buy the gold coins. After the gold coins were gotten from the small jeweler, the family being held hostage was moved to a La Quinta Inn. And in that room, in the La Quinta Inn, the captors would strangle each family member. After they were killed, the bodies were rolled up in a bedspread, and the captors thoroughly cleaned the hotel room, finding notes that Madeline had hidden for someone to hopefully find. The bodies were then stuffed into a van and taken to Austin. Once the family's bodies were moved to Austin, the captors dismembered the bodies and loaded them into three 55-gallon metal drums. They then drove the drums to Camp Wood in Real County, northwest of San Antonio, where they were buried. A few days after Madeline O'Hare and her family were killed, Waters and Carr killed Fry. Fry's body was dumped into the Trinity River in Dallas and found on a riverbed with the head and hands missing days later. The body was not identified for three and a half years. A search warrant was executed for the apartment of David Roland Waters and his girlfriend. The search revealed ammunition of various calibers. Waters, a convicted felon, was arrested and the contents of his apartment were seized. At the same time, Gary Carr was contacted in Wallet Lake, Michigan, and interviewed. Despite having served the last 30 years in prison for kidnapping a judge's daughter, Carr decided to talk and implicated Waters in the deaths of Murray and the O'Hares. Gary Paul Carr signed an affidavit and drew a map so that the police could find the bodies. 
Carr was arrested for possession of two firearms and taken to jail. He was held in Detroit, awaiting trial. The weapon charge was dismissed and Carr was transferred to the custody of the United States Marshals in Austin to stand trial for the deaths of the O'Hares. After a three-week trial, Gary Paul Carr was found guilty of conspiracy to commit extortion, traveling interstate to commit violent acts, money laundering, and interstate transportation of stolen property in relation to the O'Hare case. He was acquitted of charges of conspiring to kidnap as the authorities had not yet located the bodies of the O'Hares at that time. In August of 2000, Carr was sentenced to two life sentences in prison by the U.S. District Judge Sam Sparks. David Roland Waters was arrested and prosecuted. In a plea agreement to the charge of conspiracy, he agreed to lead authorities to the exact site where the dismembered bodies of the O'Hares had been burned and buried. He was sentenced to serve 20 years in federal prison, which he had requested, rather than serve time in Texas State Prison on his earlier theft conviction. He did not go to trial for the kidnapping and murders of the O'Hare family. He was also ordered to pay back a total of $543,665 to the American atheists and to the estates of Madeline Murray O'Hare, John Garth Murray, and Robin Murray O'Hare. It is very unlikely that these debts were paid because Waters had no ability to earn money while in prison. Waters would die of lung cancer on January 27, 2003, at the Federal Medical Center in Butner, North Carolina. In January of 2001, after his plea to conspiracy, Waters told the federal agents that the O'Hares were buried on a Texas ranch and subsequently led them to the bodies. When law enforcement excavated there, they discovered that the legs of the three people had been cut off with a saw. The remains had such extensive mutilation and decomposition that officials had to identify them through dental records, DNA testing, and, in Madeline O'Hare's case, records of a prosthetic hip from Breckenridge Hospital in Austin. The police used the serial number on the hip to identify her body. The head and the hands of Danny Fry were also found at this site. It was discovered that Dave and Roland Waters and his girlfriend had put the gold coins extorted from the O'Hares into an unsecured storage locker rented by the girlfriend. It had only a cheap master padlock. Waters had taken some coins and partied for a few days with Gary Carr and his former wife. When he returned to the locker, he was mortified to discover that the remaining gold coins, which included American Eagles, Maple Leaf coins, and Kruger ends, had all been stolen. A group of thieves from San Antonio operating in that area had gained keys to the type of lock used by his girlfriend. In the course of their activities, the thieves had come across the locker, used a key, found a suitcase full of gold coins, and score. The thieves returned to San Antonio and, with the help of friends, converted the gold coins to cash. The friends were taken to Las Vegas for a weekend. All but one coin given as a pendant to an aunt as a gift, were spent by the thieves. That last coin was recovered by the FBI after a Memorial Day 1999 public appeal. So, what do we learn from the story about Madeline? Part of me sincerely respects her. I'm quite an independent woman. I'm known to buck tradition. I'm also an atheist. And 
I honestly hope you won't judge me for that. I promise not to judge anyone that is religious or is not religious. I believe in the freedoms in our country, and I think religion can be a wonderful thing for those that choose it. I can certainly understand that many don't appreciate the values that Madeline pushed for. I personally do. I appreciate the progress that Madeline triggered through our courts in creating precedent for protection of freedom of speech and protection in regards to church and state. I personally feel that people should be free to practice any religion in America. It's part of the reason this country was founded, was freedom from religious persecution. And those same people should also be free to not align to any religion if they so choose. I also appreciate that Madeline was bold enough to unapologetically live her own life as an atheist, single, unwed mother, loud and proud. What I personally didn't always appreciate, necessarily, was the brash manner in which Madeline attempted to prove her point. Part of me feels like she did so to obtain the attention and really disrupt the normal for change. And while I can understand that tactic, I think she could have found better ways to obtain the progress she sought. Her brave and bold ways cleared the path for many others to have freedom from or to have religion. In a quote that matches the brashness of the character she portrayed in the movie, The Most Hated Woman in America, Academy Award-winning actress Melissa Leo said, quote, Historically, women who have changed the world, women who have spoken loud and clear about their well-founded thoughts and ideas about things, They generally get called pariahs or bitches or troublemakers. Is that who she really is? Or is that something she was being to get the point across? If she sat there quietly and politely and spoke about the wrongs of civil rights abuse, who the fuck would listen? End quote. I appreciate that reflection. And I'll add another reflection. One from Madeline's own son. Her first son, William Murray Jr., In his book, My Life Without God, William Murray has portrayed Madeline O'Hare as a demonic stage mother. He's quoted as saying, quote, My mother loves confrontation, and she never hesitated to use me as an accomplice in her schemes. She wanted to push the school prayer issue as far as she could. She wanted me to keep a record of prayer and Bible readings in school. My mother made me a spy in the cause of atheism, end quote. This is one of the many reasons their mother-son relationship was strained. While Madeline Murray O'Hare may be gone in a rather tragic and disturbing way, she's not forgotten. In 2013, the first atheist monument to be erected on American government property was unveiled at the Bradford County Courthouse in Florida where other residents had installed a monument to religious ideals. It is a 1,500-pound granite bench and plinth inscribed with quotes by O'Hare, Thomas Jefferson, and Benjamin Franklin. We do not always have to see eye to eye in this country. We should listen to one another and offer respect and kindness. Our different perspectives create a harmonious balance when we reflect on them respectfully. Let's try to remember the value of differing perspectives and respectful banter as our society continues to grow together. Let's listen a little more to each other. Thank you 
for listening to this episode of Controversial Figures. Just a reminder to please like, subscribe, and leave a rating and comment for Controversial Figures in your favorite podcast app. We have a Twitter page at Figures Podcast, so please follow us, give us recommendations of controversial figures you'd like to hear. This podcast is an independent podcast created by Tammy Hawkins. It's funded by those that donate, so please join Controversial Figures on Patreon. Give what you can, even if it's only a dollar. Once I hit 50 Patreon subscribers, I'll send out swag to all donators, and I'll give shout-outs during the show to anyone that's donated. Research references are available in the show notes, as are musical references. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your support. I know the world's crazy out there. Don't let it get you down. Be well. Be well.